0: All right, let's go ahead and take our Bibles and turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3. We're going to do some teaching again today. We're going to continue along the line of some thoughts. We started last week. Get into some of the meat of the Word of God. The meat of the Word of God. Help our understanding about certain things and avoid confusion. Avoid confusion. How many of you understand that uh, a lot of people, even with reading the Bible, they get confused. They don't don't get things right and uh, it's it's really not that hard to get things right if you consider some truths that we're looking at these past couple weeks and what we've looked at so far, if you look at verse uh, 16 here, second Timothy chapter 3 and verse, 16, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. To be inspired is to be breathed. God breathed. So we have a divine book here, and it's profitable. Notice the first thing for doctrine, and that's what we're emphasizing here. We're looking at the doctrinal aspects of things. Where do things fit in? Who's he talking to? What's the context? What's the historical context? What's the subject at hand? What's he not talking about? Who's he not talking to? And when we understand these things and sort these things out, or as the Bible says, rightly divide the word, then so many of these things that look like contradictions to so many people are no longer contradictions. Everything just fits just so. Those of you that have worked on automobiles, you know that the manual for the automatic transmission isn't the same as the manual for the engine. And the manual for the engine isn't the same as the manual for the rear deferential, and the rear deferential manual is not the same as a manual for the brakes. But if you just lump all those together and just say, hey, we're just talking about the car, it all applies to anything. Well, you can, you can imagine the confusion you'd have. And so it is with the Word of God. We rightly divide it. So first of all, it's profitable for doctrine. Look at verse 16 again. And then uh, for reproof and for correction, for instruction in righteousness that the man of God may be perfect thoroughly furnished unto all good works. So you have four applications there. Doctrine is number one, but then correction uh, and in, uh, reproof, correction, and instruction in righteousness. And we'll look at how all that fits together. Father, help us now as we, as we continue with these thoughts that you might open the eyes of our understanding that we might be better students of the Word of God in Christ's name. Amen. So we're told in 2 Timothy chapter 2 to rightly divide the word of truth. We found out that God oftentimes teaches us through similitudes. He'll give us an example of something that's similar to something that he's trying to teach us. And that's a common way. Some of Christ's parables were similitudes. And then he often teaches us by way of contrast. Uh, something is different from something else, and we can learn from that as well. And then we took a look at testaments, covenants, and dispensations, and when we're talking about rightly dividing the word of truth, dispensations are important. Uh, Brother Mike Walski is teaching a class in Sunday school about rightly dividing the word and emphasizing those things. Those are important that we understand them. We looked at them last week. Now, what does all this help us to do? Well, it helps us to avoid some confusion. And so today I want to point out some of the confusions that people get into Yes, by reading their Bible. How many of you ever tried to witness to somebody and someone said to you, ah, oh, there's so many different interpretations of the Bible, nobody knows which one is right, okay? If you've done any amount of witnessing at all, you've, you've had somebody throw that at you. Now again, if you're, not, if you're not understanding the Bible in context and rightly dividing it, you could come to that conclusion. And let's take a look at, at one of those examples. Let's take the most basic, most important and, and really, uh, in so many ways, the simplest concept, and that is uh, salvation, and see how you can even get a contradiction out of that. Take your Bibles and turn to, to Ephesians chapter 1, Ephesians chapter 1, back a couple books. And again, we're going to do some Bible stuff. If you don't have a Bible with you today, look on with somebody else nearby, Ephesians chapter 1, and Ephesians chapter 1, and take a look at Verse 13. Verse 13, In whom ye also trusted, speaking of Christ in verse 12, after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, a death, burial, and resurrection of Christ there, the good news, in whom also after that ye believed, ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. So when we trust Christ, we are sealed by God himself. That's why we say that we are secure in Christ. Uh, We're not secure in ourselves. We're not secure in our performance. We're secure in Christ. Uh, Verse 14, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession under the praise of his glory. Okay, so that's the earnest, the Spirit of God living inside of us, and we're sealed by that Spirit, and that is the earnest. When you go to buy a house, you'll put some earnest money down. God has put earnest down on us in the person of the Holy Spirit until the redemption of the purchased possession. Well, that's our bodies. And they haven't been redeemed yet, in case you hadn't noticed. Every morning when I get up, I notice that my body has not been redeemed. And uh, other times during the day, I'm reminded of those things. And the older you get, the more reminders you get. But someday that's going to happen. Now, Uh, That all speaks to the freeness of salvation. That all speaks to the finality of salvation. That all speaks to the security of salvation. Flip over another chapter, look at chapter 2. Look at Ephesians chapter 2. And let's look at verses 8 and 9, verses that most of us would be familiar with. Uh, For by grace are ye saved through faith. Now notice that expression, saved through faith. That's important because we're going to look at something that apparently contradicts that. And uh, we'll do that in just a little bit. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. Uh, It is a gift of of God. And in case case you didn't get the point in verse 8, look at verse 9. Not of works, lest any man should boast. Not of works. It's not of works. You ever notice man-made religion has always got you working for it? Uh, The Bible says in uh, Romans uh, chapter 4, but to him that worketh not... But believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. So again, we see salvation is a free gift, not of works. Uh, it's it's a final thing. Look at chapter four. Look at chapter four and look at verse. Look at verse thirty. Further assurance of these matters. He says, "And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God." Remember, the Spirit of God lives inside of us once we're saved. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God whereby ye are sealed unto the day of what? Redemption. Remember that redemption of the purchased possession? The day he comes to redeem our bodies and fashion them like unto Christ? Well, you're sealed until that time. You know what that speaks of? Uh, That speaks of assurance. It speaks of the finality of salvation. It, it, It speaks of eternal security Uh, if we took the time here this morning which we won't we could go to john chapter 10 and and jesus talks about that he says i give unto them eternal life and they shall never perish they shall never perish why because they're sealed they're sealed by the holy spirit they shall never perish well that's you know that's i don't i don't know how many how much clearer god could make that and uh, let's take a look at one more. Go to uh, Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10. And Romans chapter 10. And take a look at verse, verse 12. For there is no difference uh, between the Jew and the Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. So uh, God offers salvation to all. Uh, regardless of, of, of race. Regardless of language he offers salvation to all and then he says in verse 13 for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be what saved. saved all right now all of this seems very clear and and we got this out of the new testament right did we get all these verses out of the new testament okay and so it all seems very clear very very well defined and then let's take our bibles and go to Matthew chapter 24 and let me show you how the confusion begins for some people in fact whole denominations within the realm of christendom have formed over this verse and a few verses like it and again the problem is it doesn't contradict what we just read unless it's taken out of context and so we've got to rightly divide the word we've got to understand the doctrine who's he talking to what's the subject matter and, and understand these things. Now, take a look at verse, take a look at verse 13, uh, chapter 24 in verse 13, and I'm just going to give you the, the, the verse as it's often used to prove that either salvation is not completely of grace, that you have to chip in and do some work yourself, or if it is, you've got to work to keep it. How many of you ever heard that concept, okay? Yeah, you're saved, that's great, but look out, you could lose it, right? You could lose it. And they usually got a little list of things that if you do those, you lose it. And by the way, it's always something they don't do. You know, you, you make the list convenient for your own lifestyle, I suppose. But uh, uh, you, you look at verse 13, But he that shall endure unto the end... The same shall be what? Didn't we just read that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved? And it was for by grace through faith and not not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works lest any man should boast. Well, what's this verse doing here? And by the way, some people look at that and they say, well, see, see, there's no way you're secure in Christ. You've you've got to endure to the end of your life and you'll make it, but you're never going to know until you get to the end. And and I've heard numerous people say that in reply to what we just already looked at. And so what do we do here? See, there's your your criticism of the Bible. The Bible contradicts itself. There's your criticism. And and just take it upon the face of it, taking verse 13 out of context the way we just did, sure it does. So then what do you do with that? Well, you do what most people do. You say, you say, if you're an independent fundamental Baptist that believes uh, uh, and, and, and a Bible believer and, and believes in those verses we just looked at, you just say, "Well, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna land on those verses, and we're just gonna hope nobody brings up verse 13." <laughs> Let's just hope nobody brings it up because I don't know what to do with it. And 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 if you're the other crowd, you know they just look at that verse and they say, "Well, see, there's." Uh, there's our proof right there, and uh, we'll, we'll just ignore the other ones and land here. And you know what that makes the Bible look like? It Makes the Bible look like it contradicts. That's what it makes the Bible look like. Now, now, how do we, you know, how do we unlock this little mystery here? Well, uh, let's start. Let's start in the beginning uh, of the of the chapter here, and uh, take a look at verse. Take a look at verse one. And Jesus went out. And departed from the temple, and his disciples came to him for to show him the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said unto them, See, not all these things, verily I say unto you, there shall not be left here one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. So he's talking about uh, the destruction uh, of the temple here. And look at verse 3. And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came unto him privately, saying, Tell us, when shall these things be? the destruction of the temple, and what shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world. Now, if you read commentators, some say they're asking two questions. Some say they're asking three questions. I think it hardly matters. But the context here is the end times. And notice how Jesus starts out here in verse 4. And Jesus answered and said unto them, Take heed that no man deceive you. For many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. And you shall hear of wars and rumors of wars, see that you be not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. Notice that word end, the end is not yet. You know what he's talking about here? He's talking about a time period. He's talking about a time period. And when you cross-reference this thing out, it becomes pretty clear that he's talking about the tribulation period, and in particular, the great tribulation. Look at verse 15, we'll get to that in a second. But he's referencing Daniel chapter 9, which is prophetic, speaking about the tribulation period. So what are we doing here? We're just getting the context of verse 13. What is the setting? Uh, Do we have the right just to pull it out and apply it to anything we want? And in this case, uh, refute the idea of salvation by grace through faith? Or do we need to look at the context? Do we need to rightly divide the word? Understand the dispensational setting God's moral probationary period. By the way, the tribulation period is called Jacob's trouble. What did they do with their Messiah and their king the first time he showed up? They killed him. They killed him. When he comes the second time, God's preparing Israel to receive him the second time. And they're going to go through a terrible period of time. Jacob's trouble. The whole world's going to go through it with them, but they are going to be the focal point of these matters. So uh, we've got some context here. Uh, let's take a look at verse 8. All these things are the beginning of sorrows. Uh, then they shall deliver you up to be afflicted and shall kill you, and ye shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. He's speaking to his Jewish disciples in particular. And they'll be hated of all nations for my name's sake. Uh, did I read somewhere recently that anti-Semitism is on the rise throughout the world? Yeah. Yeah. It certainly is. It is in our country as well. And then shall many be offended, and shall betray one another, and shall hate one another, and many false prophets shall rise and shall deceive many. And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. But he that shall endure unto the end the same shall be saved. And this gospel of the what? Kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations. And then shall the end come, this gospel of the kingdom. Not the gospel of the grace of God, the gospel of the kingdom. What's the gospel of the kingdom? A king is coming to set up a kingdom on this earth. Remember, Jesus taught the disciples uh, early in his ministry. He said, He said for them to pray, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And he said, Thy what come? Thy kingdom come, okay? So this is the context here. A- a- and the gospel of the kingdom is going to be preached. And then look at verse 15. When ye therefore shall see the abomination of desolation, spoken of by Daniel the prophet, stand in the holy place. Whoso readeth, let him understand. Stand in the holy place. What's that a reference to? That's a reference to the rebuilt temple in Jerusalem. And you read the book of Revelation and you read the book of Daniel and you read some of the minor prophets in the Old Testament and some of the major prophets and you find out that during the tribulation period Israel's going to make a deal with the Antichrist. And he's going to let them rebuild their temple. And then he's going to betray them. He is going to sit right on the holy of holies and declare himself to be God. And that's what Christ is referencing. Now folks, doctrinally, This has nada to do with you and me. We're not in the tribulation period. Now, I I know some people might try to make the argument that we are, but, but no, no, there's so much more that's going to be taking place during the tribulation period than what we've seen. And we know the tribulation period doesn't start until the church is taken out and the church is still here. So doctrinally, this doesn't apply to us. And so we understand the context of this. And you look at verse 15, Christ takes you right to Daniel chapter 9. And we won't go there for the sake of time, but jot that down somewhere. If you're taking notes, Daniel chapter 9, verses 24 through 27. And and that's what he's talking about to his disciples here. And, And so when you look at verse 13, but he that shall endure unto the end, it's not the end of somebody's life and 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 it's and it's not even necessarily salvation from sin the way we just saw it it's enduring to the end of the tribulation period if if we took the rest of the time to look at the rest of this chapter and and, and dissect it he's talking to these Jews about pray that your flight be not on the sabbath he tells them to flee to the mountains why because the antichrist is going to turn on the nation of Israel And he's going to turn all nations against Israel. And that's the context. You see, you can't just take verse 13 and pull it out and apply it wherever you want. Because what do you do? You end up creating a contradiction with what we just looked at. And that's why it's so important to rightly divide the word of truth. It'll keep you from Bible contradictions. It'll help you avoid... The discouragement that comes with that. Uh, take your Bibles and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Let me show you another, another mistake that's often made, and this by our, our Pentecostal and charismatic friends. Uh, how many of you have read the four Gospels and the book of Acts and noticed that there were healings going on? The apostles had the power to heal. In fact, some of them had the power to raise the dead. How about that? Okay. Okay, so how come we're not doing that here at Treasure Valley Baptist Church? How come we're not having a healing service? We designated Brother Doty last week as our our faith healer. And what's the deal, bro? What happened to your powers? Okay? Uh, We got people here that could use some healings. We got people that are not here that could use some healings. Amen? The list of people with COVID, you know, some of you are back. Welcome back. God bless you. And uh, some have taken your place. And so what about that? We we read it in the Bible. It's there. What about that? Uh, how, How is it that we're not seeing it that way? Now, don't misunderstand. I'm not saying God doesn't heal. We pray for people all the time, and God does heal. But the idea that someone has the apostolic signs to be able to go and heal someone at their own discretion. And boy, that's what was going on in the book of Acts. That was going on during the earthly ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. Take a look at chapter 1 in 1 Corinthians. And this is is an endless subject if you really want to pursue it. I just want to give you the tip of the iceberg so you just kind of get the flavor, you get the idea. Look at verse 21. The Bible says, for after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. For the Jews require a sign, and the Greeks seek after wisdom. We speak of what? Greek philosophy all the time. And the Jews require a sign. Uh, The Bible says, but we preach Christ crucified unto the Jews, a stumbling block, and unto the Greeks, foolishness. The Jews require a sign. Why did Paul say that? Well, you read the Old Testament, and, and God gave them some markers to identify the Messiah when he comes. And one of them was that he would be able to do miracles not unlike Moses. In fact, Moses said, A prophet is gonna come, a prophet like unto me. Like unto me. So so the Jews had a right to look for signs and wonders and miracles connected with the earthly ministry of the Messiah. Did Jesus have those? Sure he did. But what did they do? They still rejected him. They still rejected him. But he had those miracles. They identified Christ for who he was. They also showed what was possible if Israel would have received their king. This kingdom would include healing. This, this kingdom would include feeding the masses who might otherwise be starving. Amen? The feeding of the thousands uh, that the Lord Jesus Christ did over there in uh, John chapter 6. And, and so we look at this, and, and you have to ask yourself the question. If you're, if you're reading the Bible and you see these things, and you say, well, then, then, then how come we're not seeing that now in the sense that you have these healers that have the sign gifts. The apostles' ministries overlapped the earthly ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ and or the offer to Israel to receive their king. And by the time you get to Acts chapter 7, they rejected their king again, stoned Stephen to death, stoned him to death. And what happens is those apostolic signs and wonders begin to fade off As the apostles die off. And you know what? The Bible says now that the just shall live by what? Faith. Faith in the complete word of God. Now, look, again, don't misunderstand. Someone gets sick, we pray for them. But I don't roll up my sleeves and go over there and lay hands on them and say, Be healed, because I know I can heal them. That that ship has sailed. And by the way, it's coming back again. It's coming back again. When God starts dealing with Israel concerning the kingdom once again and into the tribulation period, these signs will be in operation again. But again, how do you look at the Bible and not understand these things? Because if you don't, then you come up with these contradictions. And, and, you know, I'll be honest with you. I I, I feel sorry for uh, a lot of the people that, are trying to make all that happen because what happens is you get into a lot of manufactured healings. Folks, let me just ask a simple common sense question. If, if you knew somebody here in the church or you were that person who was a faith healer, as they call him, which, which is not an expression found in the Bible, but, but let's, let's be biblical about it. You have the apostolic signs. Your life overlaps the life of an apostle somehow, or you are an apostle and you have these signs. Would you really invite people to come to church to get healed? Is that what you would do? Would you set up a tent and become a faith healer and take up, take up offerings? And then, by the way, when people came forward and they didn't get healed, you'd accuse them of not having enough faith, which, by the way, is criminal. Someone is desperate because of their physical condition. And then some even go so far as to say healing is in the atonement. Therefore, if you didn't get healed, you must not be saved. folk. that's wicked. It it takes people, it takes away the one thing that someone who's unhealthy has if they know Christ, and that's their salvation. Really? would, Would you go through all of that, or would you just simply tomorrow morning when Misty downtown... Or here in Meridian at St. Luke's opens up. Just walking, I've spent a lot of time in the waiting room. Sometimes there's 15, 20, 25 people sitting around waiting. I'm sure with COVID, it's it's a lot less and more spread out, and 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 people are sitting there and they and 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 they you know uh, the gals that have lost their hair, they got the uh, the what, what's the the the, the the bandana on, on their head and things like that and uh some of them are over in, in, in the corner there at misty i remember looking at the wigs and, and 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 guys are sitting there and and uh they got the 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 band on their arm they just gave the blood and they're getting ready to go in and see the doctor I, i'm going to tell you something right now you go in there tomorrow morning and, and i don't care if there's there's maybe eight people there take your pick St. Al's, Al's in, 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 in Boise, St. Al's in, in Nampa, St. Luke's in Meridian, St. Luke's downtown. Just go there and empty that waiting room out. Just walk around and just put your hands on, on, on all eight of those people or however many and just tell them to be healed, you're taken care of, don't worry anymore. You won't have to set up any tents. You won't have to Advertise. That will spread worldwide like wildfire. Folks, those things are not in operation right now, okay? But they're going to come back someday. Why were they going on during the earthly ministry of Christ? To identify that Christ was the Messiah. He was the king they were looking for. He was the one that Moses talked about. But sadly, they rejected him. Those those signs and wonders were also to show what was possible during the kingdom. We've talked about the millennial reign of Christ, 1,000 years, how wonderful it's going to be. Folks, healing, healing, think about it healing. So we rightly divide the word of truth. Uh, Let's take a look at one more example here so we can uh, keep moving. Let's take our Bibles. And go to Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28 to a portion of Scripture we're all familiar with. We call it the Great Commission. Every time a missionary comes through, they talk about these verses. And Matthew chapter 28, and verse 18, And Jesus came and spake unto them, speaking of his disciples, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Now, remember, Christ is getting ready to go back to the Father now. This is after his resurrection. He's giving his disciples some last instructions. In fact, this is the last command he gave. And that's why it's a, it's a powerful missions commission and command. He says, verse 19, "...go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost." teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded unto you, and, lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. The gospel to all the world. Right, Brother Chad? Getting ready to go back to, uh, to, uh, to Papua New Guinea. And, by the way, aren't you glad that somebody obeyed the commission and came here? Came here. Remember, that wasn't given to the disciples standing uh, between the the Atlantic and Pacific Oceans here in North America, that was given to them uh, back in the Middle East, and someone went and took the gospel here. And so we call this the Great Commission, the gospel to all the world. Now, let's back up a little bit and go to Matthew chapter 10. Matthew chapter 10. It wasn't always that way. It wasn't always that way, and so we... We understand things in in their context here. Look at Matthew chapter 10, and look at verse 1. And when he had called unto him his, his 12 what? A lot of the same guys that we were looking at over in Matthew chapter 28, with one exception, of course, Judas. But he called his 12 disciples and gave them power against unclean spirits to cast them out, And to heal all manner of sickness and all manner of disease. There you go again. And again, remember, the king is here on earth, and the king is sending his ambassadors. So you have healing. These guys have healing powers. And notice what it says, to heal all manner of sickness and all manner of disease. Wow. They could take on any disease, any sickness. Verse 2, now the names of the 12 apostles, and we're not going to read them because you know them. Look at verse 5. These 12 Jesus sent forth and commanded them, saying, watch this now. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Is that what it says? My, 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 what do we have here? Look at this. Go not into the way of the Gentiles, and into any city of the Samaritans. Enter ye not, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Almost the opposite of what we read in chapter 28, amen? Chapter 28, you go to all the world. Here, you just go to the Jew. The Bible does say the Jew first, and then the Greek, right? And so at this point, at this point in time, as we rightly divide the word, we realize, look what, look what they're preaching, by the way, verse 7, and as you go, preach saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Kingdom of heaven is an earthly, physical, visible, literal kingdom on this earth. Its full manifestation will come during the millennial reign of the Lord Jesus Christ at the second advent. But at this point, it was possible it would come because Israel was being offered this wonderful thing. Of course, they rejected it. But look at verse 8. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out devils, freely have received, freely give. And then notice, Chad, what are you doing working up support? Look at verse 9. Provide neither gold nor silver nor brass in your purses, nor script for your journey, neither two coats, neither shoes, nor yet stays, for the workman is worthy of his meat. They weren't even supposed to work up support. But the bottom line, folks, is they were told only to go to the Jews, not to go to any Gentiles, no Samaritans. Folks, under that commission, if something hadn't changed between Acts chapter 10 and Acts chapter 28, we would have never got the gospel here. But something did change. And so we rightly divide the word of truth. Let me show you another quick example of that same thing. Look at Matthew chapter 15. Syrophoenician woman, the the, the woman of Canaan who was requesting a a healing, requesting a healing for her daughter. And and, and notice how Jesus responds. And again, we, we understand the context. We understand what's going on here. We don't see a contradiction in the Bible, we just understand context. Look at chapter 15 and look at verse, look at verse 21. And, and then when Jesus thence and departed into the coast of Tyre and Sidon, and behold, a woman of Canaan came out of the same coast and cried unto him, saying, "Have mercy on me, uh, O Lord, thou son of David, my daughter is grievously vexed with a devil." But he answered her, "Not a word. He's given her the cold shoulder. What's that about? And his disciples came and besought him, saying, Send her away, for she crieth after us. But he answered and said, I am not sent but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Then came she and worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. But he answered and said, It is not meat to take the children's bread and cast it to the dogs. Wow. How many of us would have gotten offended? How many of us would would accuse Jesus of being a racist? But watch what she does. And she said, Truth, Lord. (laughs) Okay, I'm a dog. Yet the dogs eat of the crumbs which fall from their master's table. (laughs) Gotcha. (laughs) See what she did? Gotcha. You're gonna call me a dog? Okay, dogs get to eat the crumbs. I'm not a Jew. And you're not sent to me yet, but what about the crumbs, Lord? I'll settle for some crumbs. And Jesus answered and said unto her, verse 28, O woman, great is thy faith, be it unto thee even as thou wilt. And her daughter was made whole from that very hour. Praise the Lord. But did you ever wonder why Jesus said those things? What's going on? We're still working under Matthew chapter 10 at this point. What's going to change between Matthew 10 and Matthew 28? Israel is going to flunk their exams. They're going to kill Christ. They're not only not going to receive him, they're going to have him crucified. And God says, okay, the gospel to all the world. The gospel to all the world. And, and, and what happens in the book of Acts? Well, even early in the book of Acts, God is still giving them another chance. And between Acts chapter 1 and chapter 7, they get various opportunities as a nation to repent. And they don't. And they finally stone Stephen to death in Acts chapter 7. And what happens? Acts chapter 8, the Ethiopian eunuch gets saved. There's Ham. Uh, Acts chapter 9, Saul of Tarsus gets saved. There's Shem, and then Acts chapter 10, Cornelius the Italian gets saved, and there's Japheth, and now what's God saying? The gospel to all the world. The gospel to all the world. So he say, well, then, preacher, wh- wh- what, do we, what do we do with these, uh, these portions of Scripture that doctrinally aren't for us? Do we just throw them out? No. Here's our motto, no text. Left behind. <laughs> if it's not doctrinally applicable, it can be applicable, are you ready now? For reproof. What's reproof? It's blame expressed to the face. Or correction. That's the act of bringing back from error or deviation. Or instruction in righteousness which is broad and self-explanatory. Just because it doesn't apply to me doctrinally doesn't mean it doesn't apply to me in three out of four ways. So we don't throw anything away. No text left behind. And let's just take a quick example here as we close. Let's take our Bibles and go to Genesis chapter three. portion of scripture we're all familiar with, a story that we all know well, and I think it illustrates the point as good as anywhere I can take you in the word of God. Genesis chapter 3, and here the serpent, verse 1, approaches approaches Eve, and, and by the way, what was she doing so close to that tree? Isn't that weird how people are sometimes? God says you can eat freely of all these trees, just don't eat off this one tree. So where's she going to hang around? She can hang around that one tree. By the way, that's where you're going to find the serpent. That's where you're going to find the serpent. Brother Marshall one time pointed out that Samson, he was a Nazarite. He wasn't supposed to eat anything to do with the grape, whether it was a raisin or wine or new wine or whatever. And so, what's he doing? He's hanging around the vineyard. Brilliant. And so, somehow or another, here she is, and she encounters the serpent. And he tempts her, and of course we know the rest of the story. She she fell, she ate, and she offered it to Adam. and And, and I believe Adam made a conscious decision. He looked at her, and he said, "Well, she's going to die," and, and it was already apparent by her countenance, and and probably uh, even by the the the. A, luster, a lack of luster in her skin, and she was no longer flushed the way she was. It was apparent that something had happened to her, and he made the decision to just die with her. And now all the problems we deal with are a, a result of all that. So you, you, you say this morning, what, what is the doctrine? The doctrine is they shouldn't have eaten off of that tree. It was a test, and they were in innocence, and they fell, and they failed, and they took all of us with them. That's the doctrine. Is there any correction? Is there any reproof? Is there any instruction in righteousness in this? Boy, you better believe there is. I'm not going to stand here and tell you this morning, check your backyard. Make sure there's not a tree of the knowledge of good and evil. I couldn't even give you a good description of it to tell you to stay away from it. And you're laughing, and rightfully so. Why? Because we're not there. That's the doctrine. That's, again, that ship has already sailed. But the correction, the reproof, and the instruction in righteousness is right there in front of us. And let's just take a minute and, and talk about it real quick. How about this one? How about this one? Blood sacrifices are introduced. And we see those throughout the law. There was no death prior to the fall. But now we have blood sacrifices, and God made them skins. They had put on fig leaves, but God made them skins. Well, if he made them skins, something had to die. And I believe they stood there and watched in terror, and the first time they had ever seen death and and, and watched the innocent animal die and, and their blood run down to atone for their sins. And they were given the leather clothing as covering. They were no longer innocent. They no longer ran around unaware of the fact they were naked. Now they were conscious. They they were self-aware, as we all are. Uh, How about this one? Uh, The sacrifices show God's holiness. You know, if God wasn't a holy God, there wouldn't be the requirement of a blood sacrifice. He would have never sent his son to die for our sins. He could have just said, hey, no problem. Just turn and look the other way. But God's a holy God, and a sin committed against a holy God requires a payment. The wages of sin is death. How about this one? These blood sacrifices that would continue under the law point to the Lord Jesus Christ. So many of these things we could look at in, in uh, Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy. They point to the Lord Jesus Christ. But let's look at one more thing. Look at Genesis chapter 3, verse 6. And, and, and the devil is playing the same game with us today that he did with Eve. Nothing has changed. Take a look at verse 6. When he, when he tempted Eve and lied to Eve and gave her half-truths, and denied the truth that God had given to her through Adam, you look at verse 6, and when the women saw, saw that the tree was good for food, the Bible calls that the lust of the flesh, and that it was pleasant to the eyes. The Bible calls that the lust of the eyes. And by the way, that's what generates covetousness. My car was just fine until I saw someone else's new one. My truck was fine, all 220,000 miles of it, until I saw someone else and I got truck envy. It was a Chevy, by the way, not a Ford. Lots <laughs> of the eyes. How about this one? Look at the, look at the, look at the last one. And, and, and a tree to be desired to make one what? Wise, there's the pride of life. There's the hook. The devil says, God, God doesn't want you to, to, to know uh, 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 good and evil. He doesn't, he, doesn't, he, doesn't want you to, he doesn't want you to understand certain things. He's keeping you from hidden wisdom. You know, God does keep us from some things. And we're better off without those things. And you know, when you get down to it, it's, it's, it's the same It's the same pattern today that it was against Eve. When you get tempted, you'll get hit in one or more of those three areas, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. So just because dispensationally and doctrinally we're not there in Genesis 3, there's still a lot we can learn. Amen? There's still a lot we can learn. Heavenly Father we thank you for your word this morning. I just pray that these lessons in some measure would help each and every one of us to better understand our Bibles. And and Father, not fall to the idea that there are contradictions in the Bible because there are none. Uh, Yours is an amazing book. You're you're an amazing God. and, and And a book breathed by the eternal God is gonna have a lot in it. So Father, we have... A lot of studying to do as students of the Word of God, Uh, as believers, help us to study to show ourselves approved unto God, Uh, workmen that need not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the Word of truth. Father, we pray for anyone this morning here without the Lord Jesus Christ, they've never accepted uh, that atonement, that death, that burial, that resurrection for their sins, May they, in simple faith, right now, just bow their heart, bow their head, and say yes to Jesus Christ. Admit that they're in need of salvation. Turn from their sin and turn to God in repentance and trust Christ as their personal Savior. We thank you this morning, Lord, that salvation is a free gift, and whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Help us going forward from here today to bring that news to everyone we come in contact with. For it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Let's take our hymnals and turn to number 181, number 181. something from that and uh, don't worry if you don't see the whole picture right away Uh, how many of you ever made a jigsaw puzzle okay two of them huh yeah I I made two one had ten pieces and the other had 15 amen Uh, some of you are are puzzle aficionados I've seen people make puzzles that had a thousand pieces in it Wow and uh, you know you don't just put it together in a few minutes you Best I can tell, I've watched people do it, they get they get the border, you know, they get those borders and those corners, and then they get the different colors, like if the sky is out there, oh boy, you know, you get all those blue pieces in one pile and all that, and little by little, what happens is, is the picture starts to clarify over time. And folks, if this book is what we believe it is, breathed, inspired by the eternal God, There's going to be a lot in it and you're not going to (laughs) as a matter of fact the idea of a bible scholar to me is a complete misnomer because it implies mastering the subject and i just don't think you can not in a lifetime you can and so we call ourselves students of the word of god but uh the more you study the more things get to be in place you understand the timelines and all this gets to be clear so If if you're just getting on to these things and just starting to learn, don't worry about what you don't know. Just be blessed by what you do know. Amen? And continue to learn. Continue to study. God bless.